today we could conclude our 50 days of transformation. This week actually concludes it as you, as you wrap up this week in your Transform uh, Journey materials. We've been looking at our spiritual health. We've looked at physical health. We've looked at mental health, relational health, and financial health. And I hope and pray that you've landed on some goals. As we started out on this journey, I said I want to challenge you to, to use the front of your Transform book. It talks about seven different goals. And, and ask you to consider and pray hard and ask God, show me some goals. And I, and I imagine that maybe you don't have a goal for every single seven weeks because I know I don't have a goal for all seven. But I think God would raise up, and praying that God would raise up maybe in you two, three, or four, five goals that you would say, God, between you and I, these dreams you're laying on my heart, these goals that you're laying on my heart are something that I'm going to work on for the next three, six months, maybe the next 12 months maybe the next year or two years, because realistically, whatever goal God has put on you, chances are it's not been fulfilled yet. Maybe you've got your feet moving forward and you're working towards it. Maybe you've got moving forward and you've had a few setbacks. Don't give up. I encourage you to take that book, get those goals out before you, because God has wanted to use these last six weeks, He wants to use this week to continue in this idea of having your mind transformed, having your mind renewed and made new. Today I want to ask you, do you understand that God has placed inside of you, has placed inside of you, has made you with gifts and abilities for a particular kind of work, for a particular kind of avenue, for a very particular kind of purpose of living. And really, probably even, maybe even greater than the work that you're looking at that you go to tomorrow or maybe today or, or later this week. Your skills, your abilities, your aptitude, your mindset that God has given you has all been put together for the purpose of glorifying God. And the goals that we've been working on and things we've been thinking about, they all tie together. We think sometimes that we can separate, well, I have my daily job and then I have my spiritual responsibilities. Truth be told, they all merge together and they all work together. If we really are going to walk with the mind and the heart of Christ, we can't say, well, on Monday I go to work and I kind of set off to the side my spiritual life and then I pick it up later in the week or on the weekend. They all merge together. Our work, our career, it's all sacred to God. It's all important to God because that's where God wants us to be, to be used for His glory and for His kingdom. That doesn't matter if you're a cashier. Doesn't matter if you're a garbage collector. Doesn't matter if you're a school teacher, if you're a counselor, if you're a driver, if you're a painter, if you're a secretary, if you're an executive, if you're an entrepreneur, whatever it is, everything we do, it is sacred and it is important to God and His kingdom. Here's the big question. Here's the big question. How do we get to the place of recognizing our calling from God? How do we get to that? God always uses the circumstances of our lives today to prepare us and equip us for how He intends to use us in the future. Even those of you in this room who are retired, 
think sometimes we look forward to that time of retirement and we think, well, then I can just kick back. God has been preparing you for a lifetime for what He has planned for you in your years of retirement. A, a purpose, a dream. And as you get to the place, you start understand God's calling, you're going to face certain giants in your life. When you start having that mindset that says, my life is more than just getting up and going to work every single day, that my life has a calling, my life has a purpose. When you get to the mindset that your life is bigger and there's more to it, then all of a sudden there's giants that will start to rise up. And when you start trying to answer the call, or you start trying to look at your goals and say, I'm going to do this, God's directing me in these areas, when you start living that way, there will be some giants, there will be some roadblocks that will rise up and try to stop you. We have a story in the Bible that helps us with that. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and 18. We don't have time to read we don't have time to read all of the text today, so let me just tell you the story in a nutshell. Israel and the Philistines are at war. Many of you are very familiar with this Bible account. Both sides are on a big old hill with a big old valley in between the two of them. Neither side wants to give up their position of being on top. They want to fight from a position of being up top. They don't want to take their troops down in the valley. They know if they go down in the valley, they'll get trapped down in the valley. Or if they know they go down in the valley and go up towards the hill to try to attack the other army that's up on the hill, they know that's not a good fighting position. And so they stand up on top of the hill, and they just kind of are stuck. And finally, the Philistine army starts saying, hey, we have a plan. We have an idea. The Philistine army says, why don't you send us your best man, and we'll send you our best man. They'll go down to the valley. They'll fight it out. And once they fight it out, whoever wins in the other army has to surrender to them. And so the Philistine army wants to start challenging this thought. And it sounds good, except for the Philistine army comes up with this giant. Matter of fact, he would make LeBron James look small. The text tells us that he's about nine feet tall, depending on which version you're listening to. Goliath was huge. He had a bronze helmet on his head, a coat of armor weighing 125 pounds. He had bronze um, covers covering his legs. He had a huge javelin. The tip of the javelin itself was 15 pounds that he would go throwing at somebody. Goliath was a big man. He also had a huge mouth. Each day he would come out and he would ask. Anybody was willing to take him on. He defied their God. He would come out and yell and say, you Israelite people, you're horrible and you're terrible and your God is worthless. And he would challenge them constantly. The guy spoke all the Israelite shoulders, soldiers shook with fear. I mean, they were terrified just to hear the guy down in the valley yelling and screaming and looking down from up on high and seeing how big this guy is. And so... That goes on for days. Well, one day, there's a man by the name of David, just a young boy at the time, really. His dad says, why don't you take some food to your brothers who are in the Israelite army? And he had three brothers who were in the army. And so David goes and starts carrying this food. And as he arrives and delivers the food, David arrives and he hears this Goliath making this big challenge. He hears Goliath making the challenge saying, who's going to come out and fight me? Are any of you brave enough? He hears the booming voice of Goliath and he sees his brothers along with all the other Israelite army who are living in fear. And his brothers see him and his brothers basically yell at David and say, what are you doing? David, you're just a shepherd boy. Now you go on back and be with the sheep. You let us take care of business here. But David goes to the king and David says, I'll take on Goliath. A boy, about five foot tall, 
Goes to the king. I'll take on Goliath, that big giant who's about nine feet tall. I'll take him on, and I think I'll wipe him out. And David says, I'm more than a king. I mean, I'm more than a boy. And the king's like, but David, you're just this young boy. There's no way. And David's like, I'm not just a young boy. I'm a shepherd. And when there's been lions and when there's been bears who have attacked my sheep, I've killed them both. The king says, well, you really think you can do this? Then I guess I'll give you a shot. And I'm sure the king at the time, King Saul's thinking, this is crazy. But he says to David, well, if, if you're going to do this, at least put on my armor. And, and King Saul's about six foot tall something. And he puts the armor on David. And David tries to lift his sword. He can't lift his sword. He's trying to move the armor. He can't really move the armor because it's just too big because the armor is made for a man. And David's like, I can't take this stuff. It's just going to slow me down. And so David says, listen, just let me go with what I know. And so David takes his stick, his shepherd's staff, and he takes his sling that has five rocks with him, and he says, I'm going to go down and fight this guy. And you can imagine the Israelite army who all these men are fearful and terrified, and they're thinking, what, what is this boy going to do? And then here's this big old giant, and the Philistine army thinking they're going to send a boy to fight this guy. And so David goes down to Goliath, and Goliath is insulted of David's size and weapon, and he says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Am I, am I a dog that you would just send a boy? You come at me. He says, I'm going to cut you into pieces. And Goliath is yelling this. I'm going to cut you into pieces. And David says, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. And David takes out a stone. He puts it in his sling. He starts throwing around like this. All of a sudden, releases it. And if you know the account, it hits Goliath dead smack in the middle of the forehead. Goliath drops to the ground. David jumps on top of him, takes his sword, cuts his head off, and stands up and says, I won the battle. And what happens to the Philistine army? They split and they run. And all of a sudden, the Israelite army, they then took off after him and chased him and plundered him and everything else. That's the story. It's a great story. It's a great account. I encourage you, take the time and read through uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17, but there's actually more details to the story that we miss when it comes to fighting giants. See, what we think is going on when we're reading that, we think we have a 16 seed taken on a 1 seed, so to speak, in basketball language. And we think, okay, can it really happen? Can it really take place? This this boy has a one in a million shot of pulling us off. And, but David has more going for him than we think. And Goliath is not as powerful as we think. What are the odds? I mean, David is a kid, a kid, a shepherd going against an adult and an experienced warrior. And so this young kid is going to go against a warrior. David's about five feet something. And Goliath is about nine foot something. I mean, how can this even be possible? David has a sling and Goliath is decked out with a full coat of armor, a weapon hanging from every single side. Now, in classic Bible school pictures, we think that David had a slingshot, the one that you kind of pull back and release. That's not what he had. He had a sling. See, in ancient times, there were three kinds of warriors. They had people who rode on chariots, which were known as the cavalry, people on horseback and chariots. They had the heavy infantry. They were foot soldiers wearing the armor, full body armor, and carrying swords and carrying shields. And they had artillery. And the artillery was made of people with bows and arrows and people who were known as slingers. People who actually knew the art of slinging a stone and 
hitting people. Slingers were trained artillery. They used a sling. A sling was a leather pouch, had two long ropes tied to it. You'd put a rock inside of it. They would start spinning it around to get the speed, and they'd be holding the ropes, and they would release one rope so that then the rock would go flying out of that pouch. And it would create great speed. Slingshots are not deadly weapons. The, kid, the, kind of the kids pull out and shoot because they did a lot of us parents to be dead. Slingshots are not deadly weapons, but slings are deadly weapons. David didn't have a slingshot. He had a sling in his hand. A sling, it's very different. We have people who study all kinds of things and know all kinds of things about this world that most of us have no, no idea about. There's actually a group of people who study the art of slinging. There's a whole group of them, and maybe they're like sling nerds or something like that. And they do all these kind of calculations of people who know how to do slings. Here's what they've told us. We know that an experienced slinger would rotate that sling six or seven times a second, which means if you do the math, that rock would be traveling at 35 meters per second. That thing's flying. And so if Goliath is 100 feet from David, a rock will get to Goliath in less than a second. So by the time he maybe starts to open his mouth, that rock has already hit him in the head. Goliath barely knew what was happening, and boom, he gets hit in the head, and he's falling to the ground. But the kind of rock that David used, they say it had the stopping power of a 45 caliber handgun. That's what took him down. It wasn't some boy just playing games with some giant. David was accurate to slain because he needed accuracy to take down the lions and the bears that were going after his sheep. Experienced slingers are so accurate, they say that they could hit a a bird in flight. That's how good they were with the sling. There's Goliath. He's in his heavy infantry. What he expected was a battle with another heavy infantry type man. He's thinking that guy's going to come down. And that's the way he says, come to me that I might feed your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the fields was one of his cries. The key phrase was, come to me. He wanted to come down, get right before me so that we can get in hand battle, so we can get in sword battle, so we can get in fist battle. Whatever it would take, he said, come to me because we're going to have combat hand to hand. But David's not an idiot. David's like, I'm five foot tall. I'm just a young boy. He's a giant. He has all the guard and all the, all the war, weapons of war, and I don't have that kind of stuff. And so David basically changes the rules. David's like, I'm not going to go down there and fight him hand-to-hand combat. I'm going to go down there with the tools that I have, with the experience that I have. And so here you have a guy who changes the rule, and David has superior technology. And beyond that, he says, I have the Spirit of the Lord. The Lord's on my side, yet we insist on calling him an underdog. He maybe really wasn't the underdog. Quite possibly, he's the favorite. I mean, he has the technology, changed the rule. He has, he has God in his heart, and he knows that God's calling him to do it. It doesn't make sense to me, so to speak, to say that Goliath was the favorite. Really, as you study the text, you can start seeing that, well, maybe David was the favorite. There's a second interesting thing about the story is that sometimes we've overrated Goliath. We think of this guy who's a huge, giant, nine-foot man who's an athlete of all athletes. The first interesting thing about him is that he's led on the valley floor by an attendant or a shield-bearer guiding him. Why would a nine-foot guy who's a giant need a shield-bearer to guide him? 
I mean, if he's one of the greatest in all time, why would he need someone to guide him down to the valley? He's being led by the hand, almost like a preschooler being led down. Because he's this giant, he's kind of clumsy. The second thing in his story is the biblical account stresses how slowly Goliath moves. He moves really slowly because as they study this text, he's being cautious of rocks. He's being cautious of tripping over things because he's so big, he really can't get his feet around everything. And so he really takes his time and has someone to guide him down there. Then there's the fact that Goliath takes an awful long time to figure out what's going on. He sees this boy coming, and he says to him, why do you come at me with sticks? Well, David didn't have sticks. David had a stick. He had one stick. It was his staff. It wasn't two sticks. It wasn't multiple sticks. It's clear from the outset that this kid has no intention of fighting with a sword or going face to face, but the giant is saying, come to me. Come to me. In other words, he's saying, you got to get close to me. He can kind of see a blurry thing going on. He can kind of see a kid coming on. He sees someone who's smaller coming on. But as you look at the text, he's saying, come to me. Come over here to me. Basically, he's saying, i got to get close to you to fight hand to hand. Goliath had a vision problem, which is often found in people who are known as giants. The gi- they are giants because of a condition called acromegalia. They're known as being giants, which produces growth hormones, and a common side effect of that is clumsiness and vision problems. Clumsiness and vision problems. Goliath had a hard time seeing what he was doing, so here's a man who's moving slowly. Why? Because he's scared of tripping on the rocks that he can't see. He he has to be led on the valley by a floor attendant. Why? Because he can't make his way on his own, who it takes forever to figure out that David is not, in fact, intending to fight him in a sword fight. Why? Because he really can't see David very well. And you start understanding more the depths of the text of what was going on, and you start thinking, wow, David really kind of had the upper hand here. When it says, come, that I may feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, the key phrase is this whole idea of you come to me. I want to get face to face with you. Then he says, am I a dog that you come with me with sticks? He's seeing the double vision thing. He's really not seeing very clearly. What the Israelites saw from up high was, was someone who appeared to be this mighty warrior, but, the very, but in fact, the very thing that gave the giant the size was the cause of his greatest weakness. That's the first lesson in the story of David and Goliath. Giants are not what they seem they are kinds of obstacles we face in our life are not nearly as insurmountable and depressing and overwhelming as they appear at first look. Look closely and you'll see a different truth. Giants can be slain. Quite possibly over the last six weeks and this week, God's given you a goal or two or three. He's giving you a dream. Maybe it involves your daily work. Maybe it involves working in the kingdom. And you're looking at it and you're going, that's a giant one to come. I want you to know just by looking at that simple account, sometimes giants seem so big, but with the mighty hand of God, they can be slain. David had other giants he faced all along the way. It's actually quite a long delay between when David is anointed king and when he actually sees the fulfillment of his dreams years later, there's a big delay. And I would say that that is exactly what happens sometimes in life. God gives you a dream. God gives you a vision. God gives you an idea. God gives you a goal. And sometimes we want it to happen now. Or we want it to happen this month or within the next six months or within the next year. But sometimes there's a delay. And David had a delay. His dad held him back. The delay was as his dad held him back. The first giant in facing your dream 
is God's call on your life, there may be delay. No dream is usually fulfilled instantly. God gives you the dream in one day, but He may not fulfill it in you the next day. It could be years later you see the fulfillment of the dream in your life. There could be a, a delay of maybe a year or two years or five years or ten years or sometimes twenty years. David was chosen by God. Anointed by Samuel to be the next king. You read about that in 1 Samuel 16. As, as David is being anointed by Samuel, Samuel goes to Jesse and says, Jesse, you have some boys. Yes, well, one of them are to be king. And Samuel actually, or Jesse actually brings out seven of David's brothers, and Samuel keeps saying, Nope, that's not the one. 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 Finally, Finally, Samuel looks at Jesse and says, do you have another boy? Well, yeah, we got little David. David's out there in a shepherd's field just being a shepherd. Bring him in. Brings him in. And Samuel's like, yep, that's the one. He anoints him as king. Look at it says in verse, uh, chapter 17, verses 12 through 15. It says, now David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. His three older brothers enlisted in Saul's army. But David was held back to care for the sheep in Bethlehem. So in chapter 16, Samuel anoints David as king, and David's dad, Jesse, is basically like, I don't know if I get all this. you got to go out and take care of the sheep. He's been anointed as a king. His dad says, now you go take care of the sheep. His dad held him back. The first barrier of your dream is this. There are going to be people who hold you back. You might be experiencing that right now in your life. You might be having an idea or a dream that God's placed in your, on your heart, and there are going to be people in your life who want to hold you back. Some of you understand what I'm talking about this morning. You're going through it right now. You've been held back from what you want to do with your life because maybe because of your age. Well, you're, you're not quite old enough yet. You don't quite have the experience yet. Some of you have been held back because of, of what you want to do with your life and the dream God's given you because of your race. Sometimes, well, you're just this wrong race and you've got this dream. Some of you have been held back because of your gender. Some of you have been held back because you weren't pretty enough or handsome enough or smart enough or whatever enough. When God gives you a dream for your life, there will always be people who want to hold you back. Sometimes on purpose and sometimes unintentionally. God has a plan for your life. But here's the interesting thing. So does everybody else. You ever notice how everybody else wants to direct you and tell you what you should do with your life? When God's plans contradict somebody else's plan, there's going to be a delay and people are going to get in the way and try to hold you back. They, they have plans for your life too. David's dad just wanted to be a shepherd and then there's this delay. Chances are you're going to see delay in your life. Sometimes even people who love you will hold you back from God's given call on your life. Let me talk to parents for a moment on this topic. And I look and I see the young people who have been gathered with us in worship during this time, and I see them over here. I remember being that 18-year-old kid that sat before my mom and dad and said, God's placed a dream on my mind. He's put a dream in my heart. And I remember saying, God wants me to go to Bible college and pursue something for Him. And they said, what is it? I said, I don't know. Because 18-year-old, you really don't know. And one of the first questions, how are you going to pay for it? I don't know. I have no clue how that's going to happen. I just know God wants me to go. And I'm thankful that I had a mom and dad and said, well, if God wants you to go, then go. And He'll provide the way. In my years of ministry, I've seen parents quash the dream that God is putting inside of your child. 
I understand. You want your child to be the smartest and the greatest. You want your child to be a doctor or a lawyer or do something really successful and great. The greatest thing they can do is give their life to God's kingdom work. And so moms and dads, when your children rise up and they say, Mom and Dad, i got this idea. And inside of you, are like, oh my goodness, you might be poor. Oh, you're going to be on the mission field. Or you're going to be here. Hold back that statement. Take that to prayer and say, God, that's their dream. How am I supposed to support them? How can I help them in their dream? See, when David went to the battlefield that day and saw Goliath the first time, he was amazed at the reaction of the Israelite soldiers to all the bad-mouthing that was going on about them and their God. And David notices that nobody was doing anything about this guy. Goliath is coming down, shouting out, your God's terrible, I'll destroy you, your God is worthless. He notices everybody else in the whole Israelite army around is scared to death, they're all embarrassed, they're all afraid, they're terrorized, they're traumatized, nobody wants to do anything. And David steps up and says, "Hmm, I'll go. I'll go. It might be, husband, your wife says, I want to go. Wife, it might be your husband says, I want to go. I want to do what God is placing on my heart. A big old dream. That's when a second barrier comes. Whenever you stand up and you say, I'll do it. There's going to be delay. And then the second barrier comes and that is you're going to face discouragement. We've seen a text that everyone was afraid. You'll face discouragement because everybody around you is scared to death. Nobody thinks you can do it. Nobody has hope. Nobody believes that you can take down the giant. Nobody believes you can accomplish the goal. Nobody thinks it's possible. And they're all scared to death and they're convincing each other that it's impossible to make any kind of difference. And I know many times that's what happens when, when parents will say to their kids, well, are you sure about that? Are you sure that's awful scary? How are you going to do that? Look what happens in 1 Samuel 17, verses 8-11. through 11. Each day, Goliath would stand and shout at the ranks of Israel's army. Why do you come out here and line up for battle? Choose one man to fight me. If he's able to kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Day after day, Goliath taunted them, saying, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. When Saul, that's the king, and the Israelites heard this, everyone was deeply shaken and paralyzed with fear. Paralyzed. Notice the situation. They're all demoralized. They're gripped with anxiety. They're terrified. They're traumatized. They feel hopeless. One translation says they were so frightened they couldn't do anything. Have you ever been in a situation where everybody around you is saying, this is hopeless? Where everybody is around you is like, hey, let's just turn it in. Let's just, let's just wrap it up. Let's just be done. Maybe you've been at work in your office and, you're, and everyone's saying, hey, in this economy, can we grow anything? How can we solve this problem? It's an impossible problem. It's going down the tubes. Anybody around you ever been in that kind of situation just saying, it can't be done? You ever walk through that situation where you've been called and you're like, I'm going to go do it. And you have people who are saying, it can't be done. It happens all the time. People are discouraged and they're convincing each other that these things cannot be fulfilled. And what they're showing is they have a fear. They're traumatized. They can't do anything. And they say, there's nothing we can do about it. Let me tell you something. Conventional wisdom is often wrong. When people around you are saying, it can't be done, it can't be done, and inside of you, God's saying, yes, it can be done. 
it can be done. Everybody was wrong. It says twice in this passage that Goliath challenged the ranks of the Israel army. Sometimes the solution has to come outside of the rank and file. What you need is a little kid from the village coming up that says, we can do this. A little kid that has that kind of faith that says, this is possible. What you need is a fresh set of eyes just because everybody says it, says it's so and it can't be done doesn't mean it is so and it can't be done. Sometimes walking with God and, and choosing to follow the dream and follow the goals that He's placed inside of you takes work and it takes work to listen to His voice and not all the voices that are around you. Why did everybody give it up? Why did everybody get discouraged with this giant? The answer is, they were listening to the wrong voice. They were listening to this guy every single day. 1 Samuel 17.16 says, For 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the Philistine giant loudly berated the Israelite army. For 40 days, twice a day, he's coming down and basically saying, you all are weak. Your God is terrible. You can't accomplish anything. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to destroy you. Send me somebody. And they're getting scared to death. Question for you this morning, church, is who are you listening to? Who are you listening to today? Who are you listening to who says it can't be done? Who's, who's hating on your dream? Who have you shared a goal with over the last five or six weeks? And they went, oh my goodness, you're crazy. There's no way that's going to happen. Do you know negativity is contagious? You know it grows like a cancer? See, if you listen to negative people long enough, you know what happens? You become negative. It's highly contagious. And you lift, listen to people who are against this and against that and against this. You know what happens? Eventually, you become against everything. Let me give you some advice. Don't hang out with fearful people. You need to love them. Love them at a distance. Don't hang out with fearful people because you will become fearful. If you hang out with cowards, you will become a coward. If you hang out with people who are bitter, you will become bitter. If you hang out with people who are angry, you will become angry. If you hang out with people who are negative, you will become highly negative because it's contagious. The first barrier to dream is delay. Someone's going to hold you back. The second barrier to dream or your call, dream buster, is discouragement. Because everybody around you is telling you there's no hope and it's not possible. I want you to know, with Jesus in your life, all things are possible. All dreams are possible. Where's God's calling upon you? What dream is God placing in your heart what dream have you been thinking about with God lately and He's been placing in your heart? Don't let discouragement take over. The next giant you're going to face is disapproval. His brothers question his motives. David had to handle this one. He had to be willing to face the disapproval of people around him in order to go after his dream. And you and I do too. Here's the problem. The reason why most people don't ever go after their dream is they're afraid of disapproval. They're afraid of rejection. In this case, David's own brother questions his motives. David's own brother questions motives and disapproved of David going after, their, after the giant. You know, we planted Centerpoint Christian Church nearly 12 years ago. We had some people saying, we're so excited you're going to plant a church. And at the same time, we had people, and many people were in the church and from other churches said, what are you doing? 
Why would you go out to that northwest side of Lexington? There's nothing happening out there. And God kept putting that dream inside of me, and before me, He put that dream inside of a group of men called the Bluegrass Christian Men's Fellowship and said, go out to the northwest side of Lexington. There's going to be a ton of people and plant a church. All along, there were people who were nipping and, and chirping. Why are you doing that? You're crazy. We disapprove of what you're going to do. Why do we have a hard time with disapproval? I believe it's because we want everybody to like us. We want everybody to like us. We really do. We want everybody to approve of everything we do. And if you go after God's dream that He puts inside you, I'm going to guarantee you this. There will be naysayers. There will be critics. There will be misunderstanding. There will be attacks. There will be people who tell you you're crazy. There will be people who are judging you for what you're doing. They won't get it. And that is the disapproval giant. See, when David was asking what happens to the person who fights and defeats the giant, look at what his brothers say in 1 Samuel 17, 28. Notice this conversation. This conversation, younger brothers to older brother, or younger brother to the older brothers. Listen to the conversation. Why are you even here? Why are you taking care of your scrawny little flock of sheep, you cocky little brat? I know how conceited you are. David, now what have I done? Can I even ask a question? I mean, the brothers are saying, what are you doing? The sad truth is this. Sometimes your own family doesn't want you to accomplish God's dream. Sometimes your own family will try to stop you. It may be envy. It may be jealousy. It may, it may be that they think they know you better than you know yourself and they know your weaknesses, but they don't know God's strength. And maybe they would be embarrassed. And maybe they would act that they would resent you of you being successful and it would make them look bad. I, I don't know what it is. But anytime God gives you a dream, there are going to be people around you who are disapproving you. Do you know Jesus had to deal with that? You stop and think about the life of Jesus. Think about this week being this is Palm Sunday, beginning of Holy Week. The beginning of the week was great. And by the end of the week, Jesus was giving up His life. I mean, Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary and Joseph, they never had intimate relationship because God was the Father of Jesus. And the Bible tells us very clear that after Jesus was born, that Joseph and Mary had many kids. And, they are, and their names, you can see them in the Scriptures. In fact, Mary and the kids followed Jesus around during their ministry. Could you imagine being the brother or the sister of Jesus? Could you imagine? Well, Mom and Dad, Jesus didn't. No, I know Jesus didn't, didn't do it. Mom and Dad, Jesus was lying. No, Jesus wasn't lying. He's, he's perfect. <laughs> Mom and Dad, he broke it. No, I don't think Jesus broke it. He would tell me the truth if he did. I mean, imagine the relationship of Jesus being your brother, and Jesus is the one who is the, the Son of God, and Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the Bible tells us very clearly their brothers and sisters didn't accept him as Lord and Savior. Imagine Jesus, hey, listen, I'm coming, I'm going to die for you. Yeah, right, I'm going to kill you before that happens. They didn't even believe it. They didn't come believers until the resurrection took place. Once Jesus was sacrificed and died and rose from the grave, they went, oh my goodness, that's my brother. He's my Savior? Can you imagine the conversations? Between Jesus and his sibling, sibling rivalry. That's what's going on with David. There's some sibling, sibling rivalry going on where, 
wait a minute, we're in the army. We're a part of the Israelite army. We're the big brothers. You're the little brother. You just take care of sheep. David, go take care of those sheep. Now get out of here. They're disapproving of him. How do you know if your dream is of God? If it's so big, you're bound to fail unless God bails you out. Some of your goals you've set this week or this over the last six weeks, look at those goals and say, is, is this something I can just accomplish in my own strength? Or do you have some dreams and goals that maybe God has placed in you as your mind is being transformed that you're like, man, the only way I can accomplish this is if God is in it. That's what I loved about planting a church. It was so stinking scary to walk away from a church where things were comfortable. We had kids in diapers and pull-ups. And you say, let's just go start. There's no people, but we'll somehow get this going. Brian and I knew the only way this was going to happen is if God was in it. I told someone the other day, I preached a sermon when we first started the church. I need to dust it off. Why I should not be the preacher of Centerpoint Christian Church. Because when you look at your own strengths and your own weaknesses, you look at it and you go, I'm not sure if I'm gifted. But if God is in it, then it's going to happen. See, the right question is, who do you think God is? And if you have a big God, you'll have big dreams. If you have a small God, you'll have small dreams. What are you dreaming about today? When God gives you a dream, and it's a dream that other people are afraid of to attempt or even afraid to accomplish or even afraid out to step out and try, if you take that dream and you go for it, you will be misjudged. You'll be misunderstood. You'll be misinterpreted. That's the giant of disapproval. You have to decide what matters more. The approval of people or the approval of God. You want to prove of people, or do you want the approval of God? There's a fourth dream killer that David had to face, and it was doubt. The experts doubted his ability. First there's delay, then there's discouragement, then there's disapproval, and then there's doubt. And that doubt is, am I capable of this? Am I up to the task for this? Can I actually do what God is asking me to do? Then there are people all around you who tell you, you can't. In David's case, the expert doubted his ability. The expert. There was nobody who was greater expert in war than King Saul because Saul had been in battle his entire life. He knew all about war. And when King Saul hears that this little kid kid is willing to take on the giant who has paralyzed the nation, he invites David to come and see him. And so David goes to see King Saul and here's the conversation in, in verses 32 and 33. He says, don't worry about a thing. David told the king, I'll fight this Philistine. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can go against this Philistine. You're only a boy and he's been a professional warrior his entire life. The expert was telling David, you can't do it. That's enough to make sure you start doubting yourself. When a parent says, you can't do it, that's enough to make sure your child will start doubting themselves. When a husband says to the wife, I'm not sure if you're the person for this. I'm not sure you can do it. That's a good advice to help the wife doubt herself. When a husband says, here's my dream I'm going to go accomplish. And the wife says, yeah, I've heard your dreams before. I'm not sure you can do it. That's a good way to make the husband start doubting himself. There are doubts that will come along. 
the expert doubted his ability. Even you and your own self will doubt yourself. Can I really do this? There's the doubt that comes in. How do you defeat these giants? How do you defeat these giants that keep you from becoming the man of God or the woman of God that He wants you to be? How do you defeat these fears that, that hold you back? To be that great person of faith in your life and in your work, that you look at your life as God's work and you say, whatever I do in life, it's for God and His kingdom. How do you defeat them? Let's learn from David a little bit more. How did David do it? First of all, he remembered how God had helped him in the past. That's the first thing we need to do. When we're looking forward, we've got to remember, how has God helped me in the past? Remember how has God helped you in the past? Think about the small things that God has done for you. What other people called coincidence, you knew was the hand of God. You remember how God has helped you in the little times and realize He's going to help you in the big times. Because God never changes. God doesn't love you one day and not love you another day. God doesn't walk with you sometime and not walk with you at other times. God is walking with you at all times. He's helped you in the past in little ways. He's willing to help you again in the future in big ways. Remember what David says. 1 Samuel 17, 36 and 37. David says when everyone tells him he can't do it, here's what he says. He says, in protecting my sheep, He's thinking back to his days as a shepherd. In protecting my sheep, I killed both a lion and a bear. The Lord who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of that bear will surely now deliver me from this Philistine too. David is relying upon, God's helped me before. And he's trusting, saying, God will help me again. Secondly, David used the tools that God had given him now. Now, don't wait for something I don't have. Don't use the tools that you have right now. Some people are just waiting for something to happen. You don't wait for your ship to come in, so to speak. You swim out to it. You go for it. You go after it. Sometimes we wait and say, well, I'm just not quite ready enough. I'm not prepared enough. I don't know if I know enough. I need these special things to happen before I can really go serve and do what God wants me to do. i got to tell you, the greatest thing is to jump in faith and say, God, I'm hoping that you're underneath here. You're going to catch me. See, David, even the King Saul said, here's my armor. Put it on. And David said, ah, that stuff doesn't fit. Those tools don't work. David could have said, now hold on a minute, King Saul. That stuff's kind of big. Would you custom fit me? Make sure it all fits me just perfectly. And make sure the javelin is the right size and the right weight. And once I get my custom fitted war battle gear, then I will go. David didn't do that. He said, I have my tools. I have my staff. I have my sling. And I have the Lord Almighty. I'm going to war. Sometimes we wait forever because of being filled with excuses that we have to have all this right kind of stuff before I'm ready to go. David said, let's just go. There's a third thing he did. He ignored the dream busters. He had to learn to ignore the dream busters. It's interesting to me that as David's going to take on the giant that everybody else is scared to death to take on, he didn't get any encouragement from anybody. There was nobody, as far as I can see in the text, there's not a single word of encouragement. Nobody was saying, hey, we've got someone who's going to fight the giant. Nobody was saying, David, they didn't pick him up on the shoulder and carry David to the front lines of battle and say, David, we're so proud of you. There was no one in the background cheering him on saying, come on, David, you can do it. We know you can do it. They're all like, David, you're crazy. You're nuts. Why are you doing this? Go back to the sheep. There was nobody encouraging David. Everybody was against what his dream was. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6 says, When others were speaking against him, 
David encouraged himself in the Lord. I imagine the mind conversation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I imagine David thinking, oh God, am I crazy? God, are you sure? And then the next thought is, yes, yes, I'm sure. Yes, I can do this. Yes, with God's help, I know this is possible. God, I can do it. God, God, I'm terrified. Wait a minute. God, are you sure it's me? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure it's you. I can imagine Jesus. In that last week, in that prayer, when he says, Lord, is there some other way? Is there someone else to take this cup? Is there some other way to do this? I imagine that conversation with Jesus. There was some doubt. At the same time, God's saying, it's you. It's you. And Jesus saying, it's me. God, if this is your plan, I'll do it. No one's going to really totally understand it. No one's going to grasp it. No one understands the dream you've put on me. But I'm your man. I imagine David having that conversation and David saying, all right, God, it's me. It's me. Jesus tells us that in this world we're going to have tribulations, but we can still have peace in Him because He has overcome the world. And I think that peace came to David when he realizes, you know what? God's overcome. When you encourage yourself in the Lord, there is a bedrock of trust and faith in God. When you encourage yourself in the Lord, you have to be rock solid and say, God, it's me and you. And even though everybody else may be against you, God, you're taking me down this path, I'm going. I'm trusting you provision. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm trusting your grace. I'm trusting for you to provide. My security is in you. My kindness is in you. My power is in you. My strength is in you. My mental attitude is in you. God, I seek you. Even when people say, you can't do it. It's not possible. The fourth thing David did was he expected God to help him for his glory. He said, what I'm going to do, I'm expecting God to do it because God's going to get the glory. I expect God to help me. That's what David did. And this is what we must do when we're going after a dream. It's the faith factor. I love what David says to Goliath as he runs out of the battlefield. We see it in verses 45 and 47. David shouted to Goliath, You come at me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Today the Lord will conquer you, and the whole world will know that there is a God, and everyone will know that the Lord God doesn't need weapons to rescue His people. It is His battle, not ours. David has a moment where it's just like, hey, I'm going to battle. I'm the person, but it's not my battle. This is God's battle. And God, you gave me the dream, and I'm going to go fight it. Sometimes what happens when we try to fight those battles of life, we fight them by ourselves. You could be trying to fulfill a dream and follow God's plan right now, but if you're doing it on your own strength, you're tired and you're worn out. The battle's not ours. The battle is His. And the battle is for His glory. God's given you a dream. God's put it on your heart. God's given you a goal. God's given you a hope. God's given you a future. It's for His glory. It's for Him to get the praise. It's for Him to get the honor. It's for us to be able to say, look what God has done through me. Look at what God has done. You can make a difference in the cause of Jesus Christ right where you are today. Why not slay your giants? 
Why not take the dreams, the hopes, the things that God places in your mind, the thoughts that flutter through your mind, and you say, well, are you sure that's from God? Why not grab one of those and say, God, you and I, let's go do it. Let the dreams stop just passing through the mind and just going on to wherever they go and grab one and say, God, I hear your call. God, I hear the dream you're giving me. I hear the work you're laying before me. I hear the goals that you are giving me. Why not go after them? What are you expecting God to do in your life today? I encourage you, watch out for delays. Look out for discouragement, disapproval. Ignore the doubters. Trust and expect God to do great things with the dream He has instilled in you for His glory, for His purposes, and for His kingdom. Heavenly Father, we have been on a great journey, Lord, over these past seven weeks. We finish up this week, Lord, with our personal times and our small group time. God, open our eyes, open our mind to see the dreams and the goals that You're laying on our hearts and our mind. Help us to see them, Father. Help us to hear Your voice. And then, Father, help us to go after these dreams, after the goals You've given us. Lord, help us to make that our work, our daily work, that we would pursue dreams and goals that You put on our heart. Father, help us to be aware when we're doubting. Help us be aware of people who want to come and destroy the dream. Father, help us remember how You walked with us in the past. Help us to see how You'll walk with us in the future. Lord, help us to, to pursue any dream, any hope, any goal in Jesus with His power, with His strength, and not in ours. Father, thank You. Thank You for the story of David and Goliath. God, help us to never forget that giants are never what they really seem they are. Father, we come to this time to celebrate in communion. And we thank You for Jesus. We thank You, Lord, that Jesus overcame giant killers for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.